Like some food for thought? Tune in to Radical Philosophy with discussions on freedom, happiness, knowledge, evil and rational argument. With words from Hawthorne, Tatman, Jenkins, Hutchinson, Hirsi Ali and Plumwood. Let's get radical about philosophy. Thanks very much for tuning in to Radical Philosophy. Today on the program I'm going to be speaking with Dr Desiree Kozlowski about Tiny. everyday pleasures. Welcome to the program. Thank you so much Beth. Um, could you give us a little bit of background information about yourself? Yeah sure. I am a lecturer in psychology so I did my undergraduate degree in psychology and then honours and went on to do my PhD and I've been lecturing here and doing uh, research for around uh, nine years and my principal area of interest is pleasure. Right, so would you have a definition of pleasure? I use a fairly broad definition of pleasure. So there has been, you know, in a philosophical sense and even in an empirical sense in, in terms of research, a distinction between eudaimonic pleasure, which is seen as the worthy kind of pleasures, so that's taking pleasure in a job well done or helping people out, doing something very worthwhile, and the other side as hedonic pleasure, so this is kind of pleasures of the flesh or the senses, if you like. And I see that distinction as something of a nonsense because you can't take the pleasure out and just look at the worthiness of something. So I, I take a very broad view. So I think of pleasure as anything, any experience in which, uh, well, that we enjoy, in which we take pleasure. You know, we have that pleasurable feeling. So that can be somebody tickling us equally to helping out at a nursing home, helping people feel more connected and less lonely. They're both pleasurable things. They feel good to us. Our brain processes them as positive. Uh, what was it that inspired your interest in pleasure? Uh, I think we we all have an interest in pleasure. I I, I kind of connected my my instinctive <coughs> attraction to pleasure with a more of an academic approach when I encountered the work of Epicurus, who kind of championed the the simple pleasures. So here we're not talking about big things or intense things. We're talking about intentionally savouring the small things in our life that are pleasurable. All right, could you explain about the effects of ongoing stress in people's lives? Yeah, sure. Look, the stress response is a very adaptive thing. It helps us to meet immediate challenges uh, and, you know, that, that's an evolutionary advantage to us. However, sustained stress where... The sympathetic nervous system is uh, chronically activated, has all kinds of flow-on effects in, in physical and mental health that are undesirable. Of course, the difference, there's a difference in people. 
So what what affects me very badly might not affect somebody else so much, and we often talk about that as as resilience. But overall, there's a whole cascade of undesirable things that come from sustained stress. So that includes, you know, a higher risk of chronic diseases, higher incidence of mental health difficulties such as anxiety and depression, lower well-being and indeed higher mortality. How do you think that we can shift our attention towards the tiny everyday pleasures in our lives? Well, this is something that we need to do with intention so that the two aspects are intention and attention and we need to want to do this. It's a skill that we can develop. We, we can train ourselves to shift our attention more often to what's pleasurable. When we're under stress, there's a natural uh, cognitive bias to look toward threatening or negative stimuli. So that's manifesting at the moment as a kind of a, uh, a compulsive need to check, you know, the, the coronavirus statistics and, you know, look at the bad news and worry about what's going to happen. We, we can get compulsive about that. So what we need to do is rationally think, okay, this is not helping me. You know, I'm not able to do anything about this or at least I'm doing as much as I can, I need to, to, to find some relief. And a very accessible way to get relief from that ongoing stress is to focus on something that's pleasurable. So we need to challenge ourselves to engineer those moments of intense pleasure into our day. Yeah, I saw something quite funny going around Facebook and it was saying how no wonder our dogs get so excited when we take them for a walk. And I think that a lot of people are actually getting quite excited because they can take their dog for a walk outside and it might be the only time they get to go outside all day. Exactly. So something that we were doing before but taking for granted, we're now noticing how lucky we are to be able to do that. We're noticing the beauty of having the, the sun on our face, for example, or the rain indeed, if, if, if that's the case, of, of having that time outdoors, of feeling the, the weather, looking at the plants, smelling the outdoors. You know, this is something that I think many of us took for granted that we're no longer, you know, taking for granted. So what are some more examples of these tiny pleasures? Look, they're all around us, Beth. Um, it's a matter of, of some deep self-reflection to see which, which of the things in our lives or things that are available to us give us lots of pleasure. But um, recently I put on Twitter a, a, a message to ask people, in these times of, of isolation, what are the things that have brought you some simple delight? And, you know, I was overwhelmed with the response. I had like over 600 in the first few hours. And the things that really stood out were, were things related to nature. So that can be people's gardens and even pot plants, their pets, their kids, time in nature if they're able to get it. Cooking was a big one, um, even more than eating. Cooking seemed to be something that a lot of people were taking a renewed pleasure in, perhaps because they hadn't previously had the time to, to put into the cooking. But music, music's a big source of pleasure for many people. 
and related to that, dancing. People take pleasure from reading, of course, from sex and from food. But birdsong in the morning came up many times in, in those responses. The simple everyday pleasure of sipping our morning coffee or tea. And if we can engineer to do that at a time where the sun's falling on our balcony, for example, and, and make sure that we get out there for that moment, those are the sort of small things. For me, a warm shower is the ultimate luxury and pleasure. And I look forward to that every day and I savour it. So these are the kinds of things. But all kinds of interpersonal stuff, you know, as I mentioned before, you know, tickling and play, finding excuses to giggle, telling jokes to each other, reminiscing about good times. These are all small, accessible things that really uh, warm our heart and um, down-regulate that uh, stress response. Yeah, for sure. Could you explain about the health benefits of these small pleasures? Yes, absolutely. So this is, well, well, there are two levels of this. I can talk about that in the, you know, the biological, physical sense, or I can talk about it in a more experiential way. And I guess our lives are, in one sense, nothing more than a series of fleeting moments. And the more of those moments that we find pleasure, the more beautiful and pleasurable we experience our life as being. So, so there's that. But there's also this idea of when we're focusing on pleasure, it down-regulates our stress response. So it kicks in the parasympathetic nervous system. So this is about restorative processes. It's about building our energy and our resources. To, to deal with stresses. So no matter how many bad things are happening, if we can have more pleasurable moments, it's actually protective against the, the chronic effects of stress. You're listening to Radical Philosophy on Radio 3CR, 8.55 on your AM dial, and I'm speaking with Dr Desiree Kozlowski about small everyday pleasures. Look, I find it's always good to have something to look forward to and at the moment, being April 2020 and having the threat of the coronavirus all around us and not being able to travel, I've made a list of places that I, I want to go to once this is over and perhaps I'm just distracting myself but it's really making me feel much better. Do you think that this is a good thing to do? Absolutely. That this anticipation of, of pleasure to be had in the future is powerful. The only, the only risk is if we, if we perceive ourselves as not having any pleasure available to us at the moment and we, we invest everything in pleasures to come, I think that's probably not ideal. So I'm more about the, okay, what can I do today? But to supplement that, the ideas of what we're going to be able to do in the future is, is definitely part of savouring. So we talk about anticipating pleasures as one of the ways we can maximise pleasure. The other two are to really savour that moment, relish the moment, bring more of our senses to the experience. And the third is reminiscing. So after the pleasure has passed, to, to think back to that and sort of stimulate those same feelings of pleasure that we had when we were experiencing it. Yeah, I suppose that's a really good point about 
enjoying the here and now and I suppose it's a good opportunity for a lot of people to, to do things around the house that you never had time to do and I've started sort of puttying up my walls and I thought, geez, I'm going to paint a couple of rooms and just do all those, all those little jobs that I never got around to doing. And I suppose by doing that, you, you're filling in time. But, I mean, as you, as you said before about certain types of pleasure, it's, it's giving you a, a feeling of satisfaction as well. Absolutely. So, again, in the moment, while you're puttying up that wall, you're likely to be in a kind of a flow state, which is very pleasurable. So you're occupied in a positive way, something in which you see value. And then by the time you've finished it, you're going to have such satisfaction. You're going to, to love your space even more. You've invested in it. You've nurtured yourself by doing that. So those are all really very positive things indeed. I, I remember years ago, ah, possibly, possibly in the 80s, maybe even earlier, Face Popcorn talked about cocooning. And I think we're all doing that right now. This is the, this idea of investing in our in our home life, in our intimate life, and and making that as rich and as beautiful, uh, not necessarily aesthetically, but uh, making it as rich and beautiful as we can. Yeah, and especially as you were saying too uh, about the the gardening, and especially I'm very fortunate to have a garden to get out into and. There's lots of weeds there that, I, that need to be pulled out, so I'm not going to do it all in one day. I'll pace myself with that. But even if you're living in an apartment, you can start growing some plants that you didn't have time to grow before or even like cherry tomatoes and be a little bit self-sufficient. And I even heard somebody speaking about growing alfalfa sprouts for themselves, yes. and yes. which is a really easy thing to do. And it's productive too because it only takes a few days and then you can eat them. Exactly. So, so my challenge um, to your listeners is, is to not talk about what can't be done but to talk about what can be done because there always is something. And that idea of growing some alfalfa sprouts, if you can get the seeds, that's great. If you can't, then sprout other things. Exactly. Try and grow a chilli from the, the seeds from the chilli that you're putting into dinner. Those things are, are, are a lovely distraction. And if it yields something at the end, it's even more potent. Yeah, that's right. That's a great idea. So is it, is it about boosting our personal capability? capacity? Yes. yes, I think it is. That's, that's how I see it. Um, there's a lot of research that indicates that, uh, well, as I said before, irrespective of how many bad things are going on in people's lives, if they are making time for pleasurable things, they are, more, they are better able to cope. Their well-being is higher. So it, it, this idea of building our own uh, resources, building our capacity, building our resilience, our grit, focusing on what we do have that's good does do that and we can learn it and it is up to us and nobody else can do it for us. So there's no excuses. If you're not doing it, it's because you're not motivated enough for some reason. Everybody can do it. 
And I suppose one thing that most of us can we really take for granted is just having a warm bed at night because there's there's so many homeless people out there that are that are stuck in the middle of this pandemic and they they don't even have a, a warm place to sleep, do they? No. And in our society recently, I think there are two kinds of social comparison. There's upward comparison where we compare ourselves to people that we see as higher on something than we are. And there's downward comparison, which is where we look at people who are lower on that than we are. And they have, you know, each of those have, have a social flow on. But I think with social media... It, things have gone out of balance and we're doing upward comparison all the time. We're seeing people that have more than us or doing things better than us or more fortunate than us. And I think there's a reduced tendency to look at how fortunate we are in the context of humanity. And most of us uh, are extremely fortunate at the moment. Yeah, and especially as you said, living in the in the here and now, because we we don't know, you know, when this is going to end or how this is going to end. But you know, if especially if you have uh, secure housing now, yes. you know, the government is putting certain steps in place to ensure that people are staying in the, able to stay in their housing, and just just sort of probably not looking towards the future too much, but just taking every every day as it comes do you think absolutely whatever happens and and in my whatever i incorporate really every possibility if our today is more pleasurable we are better off so you know, we have covered a bit of this but just how do we go about making pleasure happen i think i'm going to go back to that idea of intention so from the moment that, that somebody hears this conversation, I want them to sit down and make a list of things that, A, they have done in the last few days that they have found pleasurable and to do more of that, and B, to think about things that they used to do that they still might be able to do but haven't for one reason or another. These things often involve the idea of play and laughter and I challenge them to engineer their days so that they have more of those pleasurable moments in them. You know, how long since you've blown bubbles? Uh, that's one of my greatest pleasures and always, in fact, I can look down in my office desk and see my bubble mix right there. Um, <laughs> I haven't dragged it out for a couple of weeks, but I think I will this afternoon. Just find some, some play, find some lightness, find some relief and restoration because we can do it. It just takes our... our. Mm, I think it takes a little courage right at the moment because we're supposed to be weak. But, yeah, I think we can find it. Yeah, you're right about, you're right about trying to find something because I was, I was sleeping in, staying up late because I was stressed and then sleeping in in the morning and then... I sort of thought back to when I was quite young and I, I had so much enthusiasm for the for the day and I, you know, when I was young, when I was about seven or eight years old and I used to get up quite early in the morning. I'd be up and have my breakfast ready and sitting in front of the TV by six o'clock, watch one of my favourite programs, which was Jeff's Collie. And I thought, 
you know, my brothers who were working, they used to say, oh, why are you getting up so early to watch TV? Why don't you stay in bed? And I thought, well, it's something that I really like to do. So I've actually started to do that again, not at 6 o'clock in the morning, about 9 o'clock. But it, it sort of inspired me to get out of bed and to get going with the day by, by watching an old episode of something that I used to like to do as a child. Oh, that's wonderful. And, and you know, doing physical things is, you know, uh, skipping down the street. You know, this actually makes us feel good. So anything that we can do that gives us, gives, puts a smile on our face is lovely because there's this whole kind of feedback loop that happens when we smile that, that releases, you know, some endorphins, some feel-good chemicals. Uh, it's just something that we need to want to do. Yeah, look, it's, it's very important, the connection between physical activity and your mood as well, isn't it? Because I find if I take the dogs for a walk or if I, if I start painting, which is a lot more strenuous than you always think it's going to be, yeah. uh, you, you actually feel a lot better emotionally afterwards. Definitely. I mean, the, we're talking... I guess in, in many ways we're talking about the basis of cognitive behavioural therapy and that's, that's the behaviour bit. That's a very powerful intervention for, for mood, it's good for circulation, it's pretty much good for everything, but we shouldn't do it because it's good for us. We should do it because we enjoy it. So don't bother doing something that you don't like. Find something that you do like to do that's physical and it's a, it's a, a real cascade of, of positive flow-on effects. Yeah, that's right. I mean, I, I had a friend who, uh, she really didn't like exercise, but she loved dancing. And I thought, well, she figured out dancing is exercise. So she used to go along and sign up for dance classes. And she said, look, I don't feel like I'm actually exercising at all and I would really dread going to a gym. But that she loved dancing and it, her, the health benefits to her were actually quite incredible once she started dancing. Absolutely. So, you know, the message that we all should be going to the gym and sweating and doing repetitive stuff, I think, is, is it's great for the people who like it. But for those of us who don't like that, it's, it's, a, it's not a helpful message. And, you know, for me, it's boogie boarding. <laughs> I, I take my board out and to me, I'm not exercising. But of course, I'm exhausted by the end of it. I can barely, my legs can barely hold me up. So of course, it is exercise, but it's it's fun first. Mm, yeah, that's right. So I suppose the, the main message for people at home is do something you like and try and incorporate it into exercise and uh, do things that are pleasurable or just sort of enjoy the things that you are doing that, that are pleasurable that you, you don't really even notice. Exactly. It's about appreciation and about bringing your focus to the things that, that are pleasurable and allowing yourself to, to really experience fully the available pleasure. Is there anything else you'd like to add that we haven't already covered? I don't think so. Uh, just the idea of maximising what's available to us. It, it, it is very powerful. Do you mean what's available to us right now and maximising yes. what we yes. already have? Exactly. So not to, again, not to focus on what we 
can't do at the moment, but to look for and focus on the things that we still can do that bring us pleasure. Right. Do you have any future study plans within this field? Uh, it's, it's funny because uh, this year was going to be the year that I ran the National Pleasure Audit. So I want to find out from all Australians what it is that they do that gives them lots of pleasure. But we are no longer in um, business as usual, so I'm not going to be able to do that this year because it wouldn't give me generalisable data, I don't think. But we are running a study to look at the effect of time pressure on how people perceive pleasure this year. So, you know, we're, we're contributing to the literature on this all the time. All right. Tell us a little bit about that. Well, there's... You know, we've mentioned today about um, the links between pleasure and stress and stress and lower well-being. And one of my honours students, uh, for their research, they were thinking about, we know that pleasure can affect stress, but we're wondering how much stress affects the perceived pleasure that we get in our lives. So we're setting up a little... Uh, online experiment so people don't have to come into the lab to see whether being under time pressure affects their perception of the amount of pleasure they've experienced in the last couple of days. It's interesting too because somebody somebody said to me a while ago about stress and eliminating stress from your life but if you think about it, if you tried to live your life with no stress at all, uh, it actually wouldn't be very good for you. You actually do need a little bit of stress to sort of to function. I mean, like even me doing this interview, you wouldn't think so, but it but it still is a little bit stressful. I've got to I've got to think ahead before I, I say things. I try not to um and ah too much, and it's it's a little bit of stress, but it's actually a good stress. So there's there's a, there's a thing such a thing as good and bad stress, isn't there in your life? There certainly is, and if we're talking about a life absent of stress, we're talking about a life absent of, mm, I guess, caring. You know, if something's important to us, I mean, just think about having a child, you're always going to be vulnerable (laughs) to stress because if something bad happens to that child, we don't like it, right? So it's about having things that mean something deeply to us, we are going to be leaving ourselves open to stress. And as you say, a certain amount of stress is actually good for us. It it peaks our performance. It, it gets us out of bed in the morning when there's things that we really care about, that we value. And once we value something, it can either go well or poorly. And if it goes poorly, there's stress involved. But as you say, even if it goes well, there's a certain level of stress. There's a um, scientific terms can be eustress, which is a kind of adaptive stress, a good stress, a stress that's associated with performance and doing a good job. And then there's distress, which is where, you know, we have too much stress, it's, it's bad, and that's going to trigger all of those chemical reactions within the body and, and pressure on us. Okay, I hope next year you'll be able to continue on with your plans that you're planning on doing this year. I think most people have put this year on hold and thanks very much for coming onto the program today. Thank you very much, Beth. It's been a pleasure. And I've been speaking with Dr Desiree Kozlowski about everyday pleasures.
And that's all we have time for today. Hope you've enjoyed the program and been given plenty of food for thought.